0: Last week, we dealt with Jesus dealing with demonic spirits. He confronted them as He crossed the the lake. The Bible calls it the Sea of Galilee. It's Lake Gennesaret. It's really like one of our lakes. It's not an ocean. But He crossed there, and through a storm, God had taught His apostles, and then they came face-to-face With these demonic spirits. And Jesus went at them head on. He didn't try to politicize. He didn't try to dodge or ignore. But he dealt with those demonic spirits. This week, he confronts a dreadful disease. The overwhelming sorrow of death. And so we kind of look at part two of serving is not for wimps. Serving is not for wimps. Everyone has problems. Everyone has burdens. And as Philip talked about, sometimes we get something on our mind and we get so uh, self-involved and and it's not bad to to see and and to have a, a heart for those things and issues in our life that we give them to the Lord. But sometimes it causes us to have blinders on, not to be able to see what's going on around us. Right now, 100 years ago, this very moment, at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, there was finally peace throughout Europe and throughout the world. America, the doughboys, in their flat little washpot helmets, had crossed the vast ocean way before they were C-5s or c forty seven star lifters, way before there were C-130s, or even before they were nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. They got on steam engines and they crossed the Atlantic, and they fought in places like Flanders Field and the Argonne Forest. They faced the Germans, and as we know from the political wranglings of the day after the Uh, assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, that World War I, the war to end all wars, began. And Germany declared war on France. What we don't realize is what was going on between China and Russia and all that up in the northern area. But what happened was, the American veterans went and served Farm boys, city boys. And isn't it amazing that so often it takes a war for us to realize that we are all equal in the sight of God and that we're fighting for one another? Though we may not be fighting in trench warfare, we're fighting a battle. We're fighting a battle against sin and against Satan, and we all have our burdens. We have burdens for our children. We have burdens, Lord knows, for our country. So often we become so self involved that we can't see what is right there in front of us and around us. I heard the lyrics to a song recently that says, What do we want? Peace and prosperity. And what have we got? Chaos. And insanity. That sums up the world and even the church today. It's not enough that we fight sin, now we fight amongst each other. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about East, I'm talking about the body of Christ. When we bicker over little things that are not the primary focus of what God would have for us. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, he says, And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly. He didn't say, Hey, if you got a minute, he took the time. Set everything aside, and he put himself in front of Jesus and said, I need you. It it gives the connotation of of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Don't, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. And so greatly he sought the Lord, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Well, I know that feeling. Many of us do. When we're broken, exhausted from our own energies, and all we can do is camp out at the feet of Jesus. So Jairus did exactly that. He said, I pray you come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Do we have that kind of faith? Or are we going to live a pessimistic existence? Where I believe God can, I just don't know that he is. Well, you know, I don't know that I'm going to live the next minute. But I believe God's in control and we've got to give it to him. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, 12 years. And she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. First of all, I want you to see, as we are the body of Christ, we have been so richly blessed in our study on Sunday nights. And part of it, we talked about being the earlobe and and being the little finger, and being the parts of the body of Christ, that we're all, Paul said, fitly joined together. That we must function the way God wants us to. The only way we can do that is in crisis, there must be compassion. So often I hear people who ought to know better. Believers who are willing in the flesh to wish bad on others. I'm going to tell you something. The hope for this world is not just the ceasing to exist of those who are wicked and evil, but rather their repentance and God's revival in their life. So church, do we have compassion in crisis? I want you to notice there's different people with different problems. These people were, could not have been any different. And every day of our lives, we face different people. We'll we'll face people who are well-educated and people with no education at all. And just like these, Jairus was a somebody. He was a ruler. He was one who took care of business at the synagogue. This was a top-tier, top-notch guy. Tomorrow, I'll leave and go to the Georgia Baptist Convention in Warner Robins and I'll go to the executive committee meeting tomorrow and have lunch with a lot of those guys. But you know, there will be guys who pastor large churches and there'll be guys who pastor little bitty churches. There'll be people who are presidents and executive directors of associations and of the convention. And there'll be people who've never held a position of any sort with our Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Jairus was a Somebody. The woman was a nobody. Didn't even mention her by name, does it? Just says a woman. A woman who had an issue. Church, I want you to understand in the world, I don't care how much money you've got, how much influence you've got. You're a nobody. Apart from Jesus. And there was something, and listen, I want us to also understand something. Different people, different problems. And what happens sometimes is we will get our focus on just helping, and and it's not wrong. Listen, Wednesday night was phenomenal. Our youth showed up and showed out in packing backpacks. I am thankful that our youth were here or almost nothing would have gotten done. And our youth packed those bags. They cared enough. It's a Wednesday night, sure. We've all got something else to do. But you know what? That kid that gets that backpack, they don't have anything to do because they don't have anything. Our perspective is messed up, church. When all we look at is the one who has something rather than the one who has nothing or vice versa. Where we pack backpacks for those who will not have a Christmas and forget that there cannot be a more empty Christmas than someone to have everything and not have Jesus. Rich people need Jesus, smart people need Jesus. Jairus was wealthy, she was bankrupt. His 12 year old daughter lay dying. And at that moment, do you think his importance of finances or prosperity or potential in life, do you think he was wondering about what his next move to move up the ladder was going to be? There was one thing and one thing only on his mind. His sick daughter. This woman had suffered 12 years. Both of them with 12-year-old situation. His daughter... 12 years of blessing, but now she lay dying. This woman, 12 years of misery and sickness. We've got to understand, if we're going to minister to people, there must be compassion in crisis. That everybody needs Jesus. We live in the South. Not only do we live in the South, we live in a county where based on the socioeconomic issues, our public schools provide free meals every day. And you can say, well, they shouldn't have to, have, but it does because, listen, a lot of people that we've never met, we pass them, we see them in Dairy Queen, we see them, And food fresh. We see them at the gas pumps. But we don't know them. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. But they are living below the poverty line. And you say, well, but they put their... Stop with the cynicism for just a minute. But by the grace of God go I. And let us understand the fact that if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then there must be compassion in crisis people need Jesus. And they need more than a turkey supper during the holidays. We, you know what? I don't I I do not mean this as offensive. I pray that it is used as an examination of our heart. Families need supper or to feel special or to get presents. Or to have some kind of ministry from the local church more than twice a year. And we've got to ask ourselves are we doing it for them or are we doing it to make ourselves feel better because God has blessed us so richly? Are we doing it in Bible school or we ain't got time? It's summer, we need a vacation. Are we doing it by reaching out and going and picking up people for Sunday school? Are we spending our time in serving in children and youth and in every other place? Different people, different problems. Look at verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. 12 years. Every day, every day, pain, misery, suffering. She spent everything she had, and yet she suffered physically. Now, I'm one of those blessed few that's had kidney stones. Yeah. If you didn't feel sorry for me and you've ever had a kidney stone, you feel sorry for me now. You understand. And listen, I wouldn't wish that, wish that on my worst enemy. And I can remember my very first kidney stone. I was, wasn't feeling just right and felt almost like the flu coming on. And man, I just felt weak and clammy and hot and cold and every other kind of physical pain feeling you could have all at one time. And I will never forget, I went to visit a lady in the hospital who had just came out of surgery. I don't even remember what kind of surgery, but I'll never forget this. I walked into her hospital room, literally had just woken up from surgery, been brought from recovery back into her room. And when I walked in and I said something to her, she said, Preacher, I don't mean to be ugly, but you look worse than I do. I said, well, I don't feel the best in the world. She said, well, you look worse than that. And I left the hospital. And everything in my, the the, the one little thimbleful full of, of um, depth that I have said, go over there to your doctor. And all the pride and arrogance and, And I can handle this, overwhelmed it. I said, I got to go pick up Emily from school, and I got to do all this. And I got in my truck, and I left. And I got halfway between the hospital and the school, and all I could pray was, please, Lord, don't let me pass out. Literally, I wasn't joking. I was drawn up. I was trying to focus and thank the Lord. Halfway between the hospital and the school was my mom and dad's house. And I pulled in and y'all know I brag on my parents. I know, you know, you get tired of it. And I pulled in how wonderful and godly my parents are and dad was still cutting hair and I walked into the barber shop and I was bent over and I couldn't stand up straight. He said, what's wrong with you? I said, dad, I I believe I've got a kidney stone. He said, well, I'd wonder when you'd get one or the rest of us have one, just go in there and I'll check on you in a minute. That was all he said. And I went in the living room, and I just got out and wallered in the floor, and he finished cutting hair and did whatever he needed to do. He said, well, "I'll take you to the hospital," and went. This is a true story. I' if I'm, Well, I am dying, but I'm not lying." I went to the front desk, and I leaned over because I couldn't stand up, and that woman, big hospital. she didn't even look up. What do you need?" I said, I need a doctor. I'm dying. And she said, well, what, what's wrong with you? I said, I got a kidney stone. She said, well, how do you know that? I leaned my head all the way into when I said, you ever had one? I listened. listen, the teeth and the fangs come out when you got a kidney stone. Well, she understood then, and she sent a, a guy out, an orderly or whatever, with a wheelchair and He said, turn around, real nice guy, uh, Hispanic guy, and and, uh, he got the wheelchair up, and he eased me down in the chair, and, and he knelt down at my feet. I'll never forget that. He knelt down at my feet. He folded. It was old days, old wheelchair. He folded down things, and I couldn't even lift my legs up. Man, I was praying. Oh, I was praying. I remember calling my brother. I was crying. I was, please pray. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. He lifted my feet. He said, Now just, he said, We're going to take care of you. And for a split second, I opened my eyes and stopped praying and I looked. And God had answered my prayers. I looked and my, my, the, the, the orderly that was putting my feet on the wheelchair and rolling me back to take care of my problems. I looked at him and I said, I've been praying to you all day. I didn't think you'd come. In person, his name tag was Jesus. I'm serious. That's Jesus. If you don't speak Spanish, my point of all this is, my doc—they gave me shots and everything. They said, "Oh, it's it's small. You can pass it. You can pass it. You can pass it." Seven weeks later, I went to the doctor, at eight o'clock, and I said, "One way or another." This thing's coming out today. I said I can't. I can't live another day. I'm gonna die. I'm literally going to die. I cannot imagine twelve years of hurting, nonstop. Day by day, she suffered this this sickness. She was weak because listen. We know what happens with anemia. We know what happens with blood loss. We know what happens when things break down. Life is in the blood, and when the blood is weakened, so is everything else. You can't think straight. You can't operate. Everything about her life was consumed by this sickness. She couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't do anything but suffer. She suffered socially. Called her a woman. And with this issue of blood based on the law, she was unclean. She couldn't be around others. The world saw her as unfit. Uh, they would speak like this about her. Did you hear about so-and-so? Don't, you don't want to, you know. And, and, and when people, even serious, when they wanted, wanted her to know, they'd wave at her across the, across the street and say, Hey, we're praying for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you later. She was suffering physically, socially. She was not accepted because of the issues in her life. Does that sound familiar to the life in the world we live in today? That people, because of the issues they're facing, now hear me drugs, past history of jail physical ailments, all kinds of things going on. Everybody don't look like us. Everybody don't sound like us. You know, there was a man in my my home church when I was growing up. And of course, it was a shotgun sanctuary like our old one, two rows, you know, center aisle. He sat right there on that side on the front row. And he had to sit on the very end, Mike, because... Earlier in life, he'd had some kind of stroke and his head was permanently stuck like this right here. Now, you ain't never heard a preacher preach until he was a preacher. And when he'd preach, he'd hold that pulpit and he'd preach like this. And Buddy, Brother Heist could bring it. But kids would, and I can remember asking my mama, what's wrong with him? Because all our heads are like this and his head's like this. We have issues, but we become we ostracize people because they don't live like us or smell like us. If you got an issue with smell, whatever you do, don't go to the mission trip. Do not go on a mission trip. Because I'm going to tell you, when you walk off the plane and they unload you down staircases, not in a nice gate with air blowing in your face, but you get off on those steps, a metal step rolled up, and it ain't nothing but a blast furnace. And it's only downhill from there. But see, Jesus loves them. She suffered mentally. She was depressed, despondent, desperate. Listen, she had spent every dime. She had spent everything she had. It said in verse 27-28, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind. She came in this big crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I may just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Oh, to have faith like that. Just to touch the hem of his garment. What is it? What, what, what crisis are you facing that you want some big Fancy deliverance from when all we need to do is have the faith to touch his garment. She was so desperate. She believed if she could just get her hand through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. You know, I saw where the Presidential Medal of Freedom is being given out. And they named the ones that they're giving it to. And uh, they're giving it to Babe Ruth. Don't know that he'll know, but um, he's getting one. They're giving it to Elvis Presley. And I remember looking at videos of Elvis. Old pictures. They wasn't video then. It was real to real. But when I remember one time he was on stage outdoor stage, and the security had to come up and drag the young girls off. They were literally passing out and crying and and hyperventilating because they just needed to get up there and touch the king of rock and roll. Their king died. Ours did too. But unlike conspiracy theorists, Jesus is living and Elvis isn't. She was so depressed and so desperate. She believed she had to do whatever it took. Let us just pause for just a moment and think, what crisis am I in that I'm willing to do what it takes? And if we're not in that big of a crisis and we think, you know, Mine's nothing compared to this and other things. Then are we thankful today? Are we going to wait for a couple more weeks before we say we're thankful? We're going to come and eat Wednesday night, but are we really thankful? Are we more worried about eating and cleaning up and getting back home than we are to come and have a revival service of worship, of thanking God? That's what Thanksgiving is about. Listen, we talk about the pilgrims and we talk about the Indians and we put pillowcases over our kids and we make paper, little headdresses for them, and we look and we put cornucopias out, we put all this color, but it's about being thankful. Can we not stop and praise him? If you're hungry today, it's your own fault. I feel confident I can say that. It's your own fault. You know why America is so consumed with dieting? It's because we've been so so blessed, we didn't know when to push away. We ought to be thankful every minute of every day. We ought to be proud enough to stand up and praise Him who did it. Amen? Listen, compassion in crisis, looking at the different people with different problems. We notice that she suffered, but I want you to see what happened with Jairus. Look in verse 22. And he came one who was ruler of the synagogue, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. What does that tell us? It tells us he swallowed his pride. He swallowed his pride. Nothing else mattered at this point. Didn't matter what the people in the synagogue thought. Have you ever been that desperate? Listen, When when you have a baby, when you have kidney stones, listen, you modesty is out the door. Just fix it. Amen? We so drawn up. Boy, we are so bad. Listen, he was vulnerable. When's the last time you've been vulnerable with the Lord? Because he already knows your problem. He already knows your problem. We're worried about keeping up appearances. We want to be tough guys. Right now, you feel inside like you're about to lose control, but we don't want anybody to know. We won't ask people to pray for us. You know what drives me crazy sometimes? People who would get on me for not visiting them, but they never ever said anything to me about having a problem. I was just by osmosis supposed to know. The pastor's not the only person that needs to be transparent. We all have problems. Whether it's unruly kids, whether we've been through a divorce, whether financially we don't, I mean, we're just barely making do, or we're, we're so far behind. We, I mean, we can't even look up enough to see the sky. That's the way this ruler was. Nothing else mattered. Nothing. All that mattered was, can I get to Jesus? Because he's the only hope for my daughter. No one else mattered. He didn't call all his buddies and get Oprah to tell him how to fix it. And he didn't get Joel Osteen to say, hey, if you just think real positive, everything will be all right. That ain't popular, it's true. That's truth. You say, well, you shouldn't have said that. Joel, listen, if you watch this sermon... Read your Bible. Don't just hold it up and tell everybody you believe it. Read it and believe it. Because when you trust Jesus, if we really believe this Bible, and we really read it, and we trust the Lord of it, then we've got to understand, there wasn't anybody more faithful to the Lord than the Apostle Paul, and he gave his life. If we're going to believe prosperity gospel, throw the whole thing away. And listen, I want to encourage you in that. Because if you're in a problem right now and you're asking yourself, what did I do wrong? Ask yourself, what did Job do wrong that caused him his problem? What was it that the apostles did so wrong that almost all of them lost their life? And you'll come to one conclusion, it was what they did right. Because they were a threat to Satan And Satan come at them with everything. Why do you think they're killing Christian missionaries around the globe today? Because they're not living right. They haven't given up enough. God is glorified in it. Church, we're worried about missing an extra hour on Sunday to get up and come and study God's Word. When you get desperate, you'll call everybody in the world to pray for you. I've got news for you. Half the people, if not more, that's going to put praying for you on Facebook or any other social media wouldn't know the Lord if he met them on the street. If you want somebody to pray for you, walk in on Sunday morning and say, I need you to pray for me, church. Church. And call on, hey, it wouldn't hurt you to call on the Lord yourself. Because when you get desperate enough, nothing else matters and no one else matters. Don't matter if you're popular anymore. Doesn't matter whether your friends like you or don't like you. It doesn't matter whether you lose your job or not. What matters is what matters. Amen? Amen? We don't need a family leave act to know I'm willing to quit my job and to do whatever it takes to to look after my family. You know why we honor veterans? Because every one of them raised their hand and said, I'm willing to leave all the comforts of life and everything else to do what else because nothing else matters. When they were willing to storm the beaches in Normandy, when they're willing right now to walk a guard in Afghanistan, when they're willing to kick in doors in Iraq and to chase ISIS back into oblivion, it's because they're looking after us and the freedoms. Jesus knew something about that. We'll get to it. Listen, he surrendered his power. We want power. You know why churches split? Because it's a threat. Something has become a threat to them. I've heard church members say, listen, I love, I love this stuff and I love my church, but I, I don't want us to do any of that crazy stuff because I, I like my little church. You know what preachers and people who are close to the Lord hear when they say, I don't like big churches. I, I don't want. I, I like that little church. I say, well, what's a little church to you? Well, you know, 30 or 40, you know what they like? They like comfort of nothing changing and they don't have to do anything. You know why some people say, I like big churches. I don't, because nobody asks them anything. They're they're just a face. They're never asked to serve in nursery. No one ever checks on them or they can just do whatever they want and ease their conscience. So which church do you go to? You go to the church God leads you to. Whether it's a big church or a small church. He surrendered his power. He was helpless. Nothing he could do could fix her. You ever been like that? Now I was raised to fix anything. You, you know, I mean, you, don't, you can't just call a mechanic, come fix my tractor. You can't, I mean, I was raised, I, I couldn't afford to call a plumber. I couldn't afford, I had to do it myself. Daddy had taught me that stuff. Daddy taught me how to fix a P-trap on a, uh, uh, on a lavatory. Daddy told me, showed me how to, how to wire uh, uh, a duplex convenience outlet. Dad had showed me how to do some of this stuff. And, and, and through working with my hands, my granddad showed me how to cut wood, and how to measure, and how to do those kind of things. And so I was raised up to believe, hey, don't depend on anybody else. You just need to know how to do stuff and get it done. Standing in a intensive care unit in Pensacola, Florida. I called out to God and said there's nothing else I can do. I didn't give her life, I can't keep her life. God, I'm in the most helpless, useless situation I could ever be in. No oh God, if you could just make the sun come up. God, I, I I'm helpless. Church, until we get to that point where we're helpless, he's not going to bless us. Where we admit, listen, we are helpless, we just got to admit it. He said, I cannot do anything. He said, I'm useless. He couldn't fix her. Nothing else could fix her. We try everything, we'll send them over. Listen, I- I've told you, Farrah Fawcett was the, the, she was the bomb.com. When I was young. Man. fair was all that. But I watched the documentary on her life. When she got desperate, she started flying all over the world. Trying to find new and unique type treatments. For what she had. And nothing helped. Nothing could fix her. But I'm here to tell you today. We're never without hope. Any of you see the story of the Christian guy who is blowing the, the doctors and the scientists' minds right now? Who, very clearly on national news, they showed the brain tumor that he had, and they began to pray and anoint and, I mean, salt the Lord. I'm not talking about kooky stuff. They prayed and trusted. They walked in and took another one of the MRIs, CAT scans, or whatever it was. He said, it's not here. And no treatment, no... And I'm not saying that's the way, because I believe in medicine. I thank God for medicine. They ain't nothing better than 3-ibuprofen when you got a headache. Well, teach his own. But I'm going to trust you... Mike's real thankful for medicine. But you know, there's a place medicine won't work. There's a place, and they'll admit it. There's a place where it can only go so far. You know why? Because we're living in a sinful, broke world. And I don't care what cream you rub on it. And I don't care what your doses is. You're going to die. I don't care how many miles you do on a treadmill I, and I'm not saying all that's bad. And No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm telling you, don't put your hope in temporary things for eternity. Life short, eat more cake. She had suffered. And he was suffering, but in different ways. Now look at how we are and how the Lord confronted the crisis. Look in verse 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt it in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in Himself that virtue had gone out of Him, turned Him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And confronting the crisis, notice in verse 30. Jesus counted the cost. He knew what was going on. Immediately He knew. All you have to do is read Philippians 2 to know Jesus counted the cost. He left heaven above. He left as the Son of God, God Himself, and was made lower than the angels, and came to this earth. He hungered and He thirsted, and they nailed Him to a tree. he may shed his blood for you and me. Jesus counted the cost both physically and personally. It said in verse 40, and they laughed him to scorn. He walked in and he said, the girl is just sleeping. She's not dead. When has God done something in your life and you just refuse to believe it? He answered your prayer and you didn't believe it. It always astounds me. I, I love the story from the side of God blowing our minds, not the side of the church's lack of faith. They had a prayer meeting for the sole purpose of God to deliver Peter out of jail. Y'all remember that story in Acts? All the church, listen, it would be like the, the, the patriarch. A V-side Baptist Church getting locked up. We know, no, everybody absolutely positively knows they're innocent. They're, they're being sentenced to death for something they did not do. And we all came together and we began to pray. We got on our face and we prayed, oh dear God, listen, we don't want lights on. We don't want any music. We don't want any preaching. We just need to come and seek God. And we fill these altars. We actually skip the chairs. We take the time and we come and we kneel in the altar of prayer. And in doing so, we begin to pray, oh God, and in the days that we live in, even the security guard says, listen, we're just going to lock all the doors. We ain't going to worry about out there. We're all going to come in here and pray together. We need to pray too. And so we lock all the doors. We come in and pray. And we begin to pray, oh God, pray dear God. Listen, we're weeping and we're, we're just wailing, oh God, we're calling out. And we hear. We're like, Lord, is it somebody wanting something? We ain't got time for that. We busy praying. And we keep hearing. And finally, I look over there at one of the security. Go get rid of that. We're trying to pray and it's breaking our concentration. And I can't get that security guard's attention. And so one of the young Youth girls gets up and goes back there to that door and pops it open. And that church member's standing there. Said, hey. She pulls the door real shut and she's thinking, security team, oh, I'm in trouble. I shouldn't open that door. And she comes back, she tells security guy and security guy looks over at me and says, "Our church," she says, church member's at the door. So no, she's been eating too much pizza again. Good grief, we're trying to pray and she's making up stuff. These crazy youth, why do they do that? We're trying to be serious about God. They're doing all this. That's what happened. The little girl went to the door. Peter says, hey, I'm here. Rhoda. Went back and they said, she said, Peter's at the door. Oh no, it's a ghost. Peter was at the door. God had answered their prayer, but yet they still... Insisted on not believing. The act of prayer is not faith. Y'all understand that? Praying for the sake of praying is not faith. Jesus counted the cost physically and personally. They didn't. They, he knew people were going to deny him. He said a prophet's accepted everywhere but in his own country. And here's a, a thing I want us to really realize: the disciples were oblivious to what was going on. People walk in and out of this church every week and we, have, we don't even know everybody's name. Church, we're not a mega church. There is no excuse why we don't take time to get to know each other at Eastside Baptist Church. We ought to know who each other are. We need to know who our family deacon. Deacons, your families need to know who you are. You're not too busy. I'm not too busy. We need to slow down because listen, They're all walking around him like they're entourage. You know, it looked like MC Hammer with all of his, you know. Jesus walking up. By now, he's already healed several people. He's calmed the storms. He's cast out demons. So now the disciples are getting a little, dude, I'm with him. I'm with him. And yet the problem is, they didn't understand what was going on right there. In front of them. They were oblivious. Look at verse 31. And his disciples, when Jesus said, somebody touched me. They looked at the multitude that was pressing in on them and said, really? Really? Look around, Jesus. You don't get it. You don't understand. See, so often God can be doing a great work right in our midst and we miss it. Because we're oblivious to God's work in our life. Why? Because what Philip talked about this morning, we get our minds so set on one thing, we don't see the big picture. What is God trying to do right in your family, right in your church, right in your realm of influence? And because you lack sensitivity... You're not prayed up. You're not allowing God to work. You become, listen, we become so inwardly focused. Listen, I'll come to church as long as it doesn't upset my apple cart. If it doesn't make me uncomfortable, if it doesn't go too long, as long as everything in my family is taken care of and it's ministered to and everybody's doing it, then I can come and I can just sit here and somebody else can do the ministering. You know, that is the prescription for the death of the church. When we become so inwardly focused, we forget what's going on out there. Everything is not about us. We're the most narcissistic society there ever been, and I am the leader. I used to think if anybody was standing around outside the church, they'd probably talk about me. And I allowed Satan to beat me up for years, and some of them were. But you know what? Even if they were, I couldn't do anything about it. and Why worry about it? But I'd go, oh, did you see? A...? Becky taught me off a ledge. They weren't. You know, and, we're... and I hear some of us the same way. We see some. Did you hear so and so? Are they worried about this? Are they worried? About... Listen, why do we wear? Why are we going to be what we're complaining about in society? We complain about it and all the voting and all this bickering back and forth. Everybody's right and everybody else is wrong. And yet we're the same way. We think everything's about us. Can I inform you of something? It does not matter who eventually holds those offices. Now, I believe we ought to pray. I believe we ought to vote. But God's still in control. I think we ought to do what's right and do everything in our power. And not just say God's in control, so God do everything. God wants us to be found faithful. But we need to understand everything's not about us. So in confronting the crisis, Jesus counted the cost. The disciples need to wake up and see what was going on around them. Look in verse 32. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her... I'm going to tell you, when Jesus touches you, you'll know it. And don't be afraid to tell somebody. Amen? Listen, we'll go have a test. We're worried to death about the test. And we'll go back and they're convinced the test is this, the test is that. And we go back and they say, no, it's, it's good. Everything's benign. Everything, you know, it's, it's a negative. And, and we start to say, oh, they read it wrong. What if God just changed it? Isn't that what you prayed that you'd be alright? Why do we limit God's ability and our thankfulness we say oh god i've lost this and i am so broken i can't find it i don't know what's happened to it and then all of a sudden it appears in the most awkward place and we're convinced we just left it there what if god says you lost it but i have brought it back and put it somewhere for you do y'all believe that could happen Didn't the axe head come off that was borrowed and sank because iron doesn't float very well? And the the servant was so worried about it, he said, oh, I can't afford to pay it back. I'm in deep, deep, deep trouble. Deeper than that axe head. The prophet of God, didn't he cut a stick? Wasn't it a stick? And didn't he throw it in the water? Wood floats, right? And what happened to the axe head? Came to the top. Because that was the servant's heart. Listen, the woman in confronting the crisis made a public profession. She came in front of everybody and said, It was me. It was me that touched you. And Jesus said, Daughter, your faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of the plague. It was a confirmation of the change that happened in that's why baptism is important. That's why church membership is important. That's why walking an aisle and being public in front of the world is important. Oh, but they're embarrassed. And they're, listen, who else? She, remember, this is a nobody. And she's now standing in front of, uh, uh, up in front of everybody and saying, Jesus healed me. God expects a public confirmation and profession in our life to show the world outwardly what happened inwardly. What about the ruler of the synagogue? Look what it says. And he suffered no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house and seeing the big stirrup and them that wept and wailed greatly and when he was come in, he said unto them, why make a big ado and weep? The damsel is not dead but sleeps. They laughed him to scorn. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? When the world mistreats you, young people, when you feel bullied, somebody makes fun of you for following Christ. They make fun of you for reading your Bible. They make fun of you for going to youth group. Listen, it doesn't end there. The story, your life story doesn't end with the way the world treats you or what the world thinks about you. But when he had put them all out, He took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took her by the hand and said unto her, Damsel, I say to you, arise. And immediately, straightway, the damsel arose and and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. You see, Jairus had faith in the one who could do something. You remember, he was helpless. He was hopeless. Nothing in him, no one outside of him, nobody in his realm of influence could do anything, but Jesus could. Are you seeking the right person for the right reason? Faith in the one who can do something about your issues. Faith in the future he has for us. When he, listen, they were not at the ruler's house, when he came to Jesus. He said, my daughter is sick. God already knew what he was going to do there. And it was proof positive that Jesus was faithful, that Jesus did what he had called on in faith. And it shows that we've got to believe that God is out there in our future already taking care of problems that we can't even see yet. So what do we do? Verse 36 says... Do not be afraid, only believe. And what did he tell the girl in verse 41? Arise. And so with those words today, as they come to the instruments, I want to challenge you not to be afraid, to only believe. And if you say, you know, it's time for me to wake up. Stop being like the disciples and be oblivious to everything going on around me. It's time for me to be honest and realize I'm a nobody, but Jesus is everything I need. That I may think I'm something, but I'm really nothing. And there's nothing in me, nothing innate, nothing about my life that can do anything to solve the problems of this world, the problems of my family, the problems in my life. But what I need to do Stop doubting and only believe. And in so doing, arise and come before the Father and tell Him, Lord, I believe. I believe You are the Son of God. I believe You're above and beyond anything I could ever imagine. And I need You today. If you believe that, stand and come. Come to Jesus right now.